Today's Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm 107, verses 1 to 9 and 43, found on, in your pew Bibles on page 559. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 for our New Testament reading this morning. It will be found on page 201 in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, that song really got me thinking. Use me, Lord, till my last day. It's a bold song to sing. Thank you both for singing it. Let me begin with a prayer as we enter into this text. God, go before us. Similarly to the song we have just heard, Father, I pray that we would be used till our very last days until you bring us home in glory. Let us see today your will for our lives. Amen. So 
So I've titled this sermon similar to what it says in the scriptures, The New Life. What is the Apostle Paul getting at? In recent weeks, Pastor Doug has gone through the lectionary texts on the book of Luke. And we'll continue those in the coming weeks through August. But I wanted to mention and speak on Colossians this morning. Because when it appeared in the church calendar, I couldn't help but pass this up. I love this topic far too much. And so when I had the opportunity, I decided we can get back to Luke next week. Because when you look at this, it says the new life. Not always a popular topic. People in this world and in this life like their comforts. We like our lives. We want our lives to be better. But we like our lives. We work hard to live where we are here and now. But the Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 3 that if we have been raised with Christ... We are to seek the things that are above. What does that mean? If we have been raised with Christ, have we been born again? Have we been renewed? If so, then this passage is for us. Like last week when Doug was talking about the Lord's Prayer, focusing on the things that God focuses on, he is saying that if we have been born again, if we are made new, then this should be our focus. It is about the steps we ought to take as Christians. This is not a text necessarily about evangelism, but for us in the church. And here he says in verse 2, that we should not focus on things of this earth. We should not focus on things of this earth. How do we do that? We live here. We're surrounded by the earth. We get obsessed with the mundane details of our lives. We focus on our calendars. We focus on our to-do list. Many of us are thinking today the things we need to do for tomorrow, our holiday. We need to buy a few more things. The stores are all going to be closed. We're going to have people over. We need to make sure we have enough. We focus on earthly things all the time. And there is a tension here that many of us balance as Christians. How do we balance what God desires in the things of this world? This is a topic that many people spend an entire lifetime talking about. Uh, But for this morning, we're going to give it about five minutes. I want to explain it in a way that has made sense to me and has helped me. If we look at our decisions every day, stop and think about you wake up in the morning, have your breakfast, and you go out and you start your day. How do you make decisions? You look at a choice and you choose one or two, A or B. Ultimately, what we're doing, though, is we're deciding whether we're going to focus on earthly things or heavenly things. We say, I am going to do what I want, or I'm going to do what God desires of me. When it comes to morality and daily choices, We are really assigning authority to one or the other. We are giving authority to the earthly things and to our own desires, or we are giving authority to God and what God desires, what the Apostle Paul here calls the things that are above. Each day we ask the question, what should I do? And each day we have the opportunity to focus on the earthly things or the things that are above. 
And this tension, this balance, makes up most of our daily lives. As Christians, this is what we think about all the time. And I think about this, and I wonder, and I constantly fight inside myself. Maybe you are all much more spiritually advanced and mature than I am, but I wrestle with this every day. Just yesterday, Jenna and I are getting on the tram with our dog from Stadelhofen up to where we live, and we think, should we really buy the half fare? They're not going to check. We can just take the dog on the tram and no one will know. Why not? It's five in the afternoon on a Saturday. What are the odds? And my wife, to her credit, says, but if we start, that will be, our, that will be what we do every time. And if we focus on the earthly things, then we will continue to focus on the earthly things. And then one day, we'll get a ticket. And they'll ask, what's your profession? <laughs> and I will do this. Because I'll be embarrassed. Because I've chosen to focus on the earthly. And in that moment, it's a small thing, isn't it? It's two francs. But I have set myself up to focus on the heavenly things. So that I do not have to be ashamed of the calling God has put on my life as a Christian. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here, setting our mind on things that are above, is setting our, path, our minds on a path moving forward. It's setting our minds in a, to way, in a way to think that affects not only our future, but the future of others. To whom do we give authority? To God or to man? Look at verse 3. For if you have died, your life is hidden with Christ on high. So if you have died, if you have given your life to Christ, your life is secure. Take this balance of right and wrong to bigger questions. What if we don't have enough to survive? What if we can't afford these futures? What if... Like some people we heard this morning go around the world and serve. We have confidence that if we focus on the things of God, that our life is with Christ on high. A wonderful assurance. And for good reason. If you look at verse 4, there will be a time when we see Christ in glory. And we will be there with Him. I'm not exactly sure what this is going to look like. Um... I don't know that I want to know. In the, in the Bible, throughout Scripture, whenever people see angels, they're terrified. And in Matthew chapter 25, if you've ever read it, it says that Christ will return in glory and that the entire earth will bow before him. There's a study we could do another time on what, that, what it will look like to return with Christ in glory. But to me, it gives me a great detail, a wonderful assurance. But I also wonder, I just want to be there. I don't want to wait. I'm impatient. How do I get to be with Christ in glory now? Because I don't want to wait. Get me to glory. Because the day to day, the earthly dominates my life. And the Apostle Paul gives us a reason and a way to deal with this. 
He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, these things. This is a pretty serious condemnation, isn't it? Put to death. I think for earthly things in the earthly realm, this is the most drastic it can be. That we must kill, we must put to death. We must carry out the sentence to put to death our old lives and the desires of our heart from our past. Jesus promises the power to do it through the Holy Spirit, but we are the ones, we must take initiative to put to death our old lives. That is a strong, strong call. But if you look at the example of Jesus, we understand why. At the end of Luke chapter 9, there is a section called the cost of discipleship. And Jesus says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. A man desires to follow Jesus, but Jesus Jesus tells him he can't even go back and bury his father, that he must turn and follow. Jesus is serious about this, about putting to death our old life. And so too is the Apostle Paul, seen in verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In recent weeks, some of you have heard me preach a couple of sermons that dictate the love of God and the grace of God. And these are the determining factors in my life. But I want you all to know that this God who we worship is a jealous God, is a just God. And He desires our hearts. He is jealous for our affections and our hearts. And these commands are very serious. To put to death your old life. And then the Apostle Paul, in a way that only he knows how, in verses 9, 10, and 11, tells us why. He gives us three things, I think, that really can help us understand why this is so important. A framework, if you will, for how to move forward as Christians. Excuse me. The first thing, look at verse 9. He says, do not lie to one another. Why did he all of a sudden talk about each other here? He's saying, put to death your old life. This is between you and God. But then he says, do not lie to one another. Church, this is communal. This is all of us. Remember, this is a letter to a church, not a person. He's telling the people in Colossae, do not lie to one another about what is happening in your heart, about who you are, about the things you have set your mind on. It is not only individual, but it is communal. We do this together. We set our hearts and our minds on things that are above together, not alone. Who among us? has the strength to heal our hearts by ourselves? Who among us has the strength to get rid of sin without help in prayer? I certainly don't. Remember your baptismal vows. Some of us as infants, some of us as adults. Remember the baptism we had here a few weeks ago? We as a church stood with a young man in front saying that we would come together to help him grow in the knowledge of his Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so one of the things Paul is saying here is that this is communal. That we do this together. This transition from earthly things to godly things is done in relationship as well. The second thing the Apostle Paul tells us is that we are stripping off our old self. We are putting it to death, right? This is an interesting idea. This is something, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but that the world tells us is wrong about Christianity. Have you ever encountered this? In Christianity, what does Scripture say? That we are made new, that our old selves are not who we are meant to be, the people we pretended, the people we did, the people we, or the lives we lived in sin when we pretended to be superheroes. The Bible tells us that those are not who we are. We are the children of God. But what does the world say to people who are searching, who are wondering? They say, your desires are good. Your desires are who you are. James 1 says that our desires take us away from God. This is a dichotomy. This is a difference between us, the church, and the world. This is why we can't do both. This is the reason we cannot be earthly and godly. Because they're not going in the same direction. Put to death, therefore, that old life. And the third thing Paul mentions that I love is he says that we do this by growing in knowledge in the image of our Creator. So it's not just that we put our old life to death. It's not just that we do this together and put on our new self. But that we, do, we grow in knowledge in the image of our Creator. We become Christ-like. When we do this together, when we do not lie to each other, when we pursue the Word of God as we are doing this morning, we all become more like Christ. This is what John chapter 1 talks about in the incarnation, the Word of flesh, dwelling, or the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We see it. And we see Christ. And we see Christ in Scripture. And we become more like Him. That the new self, the new person Christ has made us to be, reflects Him and not the things of this world. We grow as a community together for the reason of verse 11. Christ is in all. Or Christ is all and is in all. There is no more division. So with all of this, what do we do? With this understanding to say, okay, I want to set my mind on things above and not on this earth. I want to grow. How? Why? What do we do? We do it together as a community. We do it together in honesty. We do it together reading the Word of God. Paul is telling us who we really are. Not who we think we are. Sneak ahead to verse 12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. This is the outpouring of this change. This is the outpouring of the new self. Who among us could do those things without Jesus? Maybe once, maybe twice, maybe occasionally. But I don't know about you, I'm very selfish. In my heart of hearts, I want what I want. I don't want to do what other people desire. I don't. But God has made me new. God is redeeming me. God is growing me. God is saying, put to death, Sam, the selfishness in your heart so that you can clothe yourself in kindness. Paul is telling us who we were made to be. Remember the desire we talked about of getting to the finish line? If we are meant to be with Christ in glory, how do we avoid just wanting to rush to the finish line? I think this is it. So that we might grow together and learn about what that glory looks like. That we grow together as community, as family, as the church of God to understand how we can grow this community. To understand how we can tell the world there is a better and different way. God has a plan that is so much more And it can't be both. It can't be in the earth and in heaven. It has to only be one or the other. We put to death the old self for the new life God has for us. My favorite image of this uh, comes from C.S. Lewis. And if you'll forgive me to go a minute or two over, I want to share something that some of you may be familiar with. I'm not sure I can get through it without crying, (laughs) but it's my favorite illustration I've ever seen of this and it comes from a children's book some of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia and there's a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader where just a horrible young boy named Eustace turns into a dragon and if you're familiar with this you know the story for those who aren't this young boy turns into a dragon and he, he puts a bar a gold bar on his leg well what becomes his leg on his arm And he's trying to get it off. And so he's so miserable and in so much pain that he needs help. And so in this story, there's a lion named Aslan who represents God. And he comes alongside to help Eustace. And I want to read this to you because it's one of my favorite illustrations of the new life God brings us. The water, he wanted to bathe in this little pool. The water was as clear as anything. And I thought that if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me that I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud. And I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't on any clothes when suddenly I thought the dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course I thought. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself. And my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper. And instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully, like it does after an illness, or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it, and I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty and gross. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, 
I looked down and saw my reflection. And I saw my foot. It was all rough and scaly, just as it had been before. That's right, I said. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath. And I'll have to get out of that, too. So I scratched and tore at this underskin and peeled off beautifully. And I stepped out of it, lying beside the other one. And I went to the well to take my bath. Exactly the same thing happened. And I thought, how am I ever going to get this skin off? For longing was the pain to bathe in my leg. So I scratched away for a third time. And I got off a third skin. But the two, were just, it was just like the others. And I didn't know what to do. And the lion said, you have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just laid flat on my back and let the lion do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it went right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I'd ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling it gone. You know, if you've ever picked away a scab off of a sore place, it hurts like Billy, but oh, it is so fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as I'd ever been, and he caught hold of me. And I didn't like it because I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin. And he threw me into the water. And it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone. And I saw why. I turned into a boy again. That's it. We can't do this on our own. We try, and we try, and we try. And we wait, and we say, Lord, help me put to death. We say, church, let's come together around someone with a struggle. Let's come together around someone with an issue of sin they cannot get rid of and say, let us do this together. Allow God to tear that we might swim and become who we were made to be. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes people say they want change. But really what they want is for Jesus to fit neatly into their life they've made for themselves. That is not the Christian life. And I am sorry if you have thought that. But it's not. God does not fit into our old life. God fits into our new life that he has designed and that he has made and that he has set aside for you. God offers that new life to each of us. If we only are willing to trust him to take control. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for the new life you offer. 
I thank you for tearing off our old life. Lord, I thank you that when we are willing to put to death that which is old, you come along in power and in righteousness and give us the strength to put those things to death. Father, continue to prepare our hearts as we prepare to go to the table in worship to you. In your name we pray. Amen.